Shalom listeners, this is Kate, the creative director of Loam. Before we dive into a new episode of Loam Listen with Amiria Freeman, I want to share with you all about the launch of our Patreon. As you all know, Loam is a small and heart-powered organization passionate about creating immersive, responsive, and regenerative media that sparks a culture shift. To sustain our work and to fully actualize our vision, we are humbly asking for support from our community to continue to compensate our creative contributors, produce Loam Listen, and expand our publishing branch. As a subscriber to our Patreon, your donation of just $4 a month, the cost of a cup of coffee, can help Loam show up stronger for our beautiful community. To learn more about our Patreon, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com loamlove. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com L-O-A-M, love. Thank you again so much for being a part of this community. We're so grateful to be in conversation with you all. Hi there, I'm Amiria Freeman, and you're listening to Loam Listen. One of the most instructive texts I've ever read that I come back to again and again is Soul Talk, the new spirituality of African-American women. It's a potent archive of wisdom compiled by poet, writer, historian, and critic Akasha Gloria Hall, featuring brilliance from Tony K. Bambara, Lucille Clifton, Sonia Sanchez, and several other foundational voices. In one captured interview, Alice Walker shares a nugget that's a favorite of mine. I'm an earthling. I was born here. I know the place. I have no desire really to travel. I don't want to go to the moon. I don't want to go to the stars. Venus can be happy without my presence. A condition of servitude and oppression is not your home. Oppression is not your home. And a time when leaving your home can be an experience rife with anxiety due to a pandemic, wildfires, and racial violence. Walker's words are a grounding reminder and a powerful call to action. What does it mean to reclaim all the earth as our home and not oppression? In these times, how can the earth feel like a bomb again? In this episode, I have a foraging kiki with Alexis Nicole Nelson. Alexis is a social media manager by day TikTok forager by night, a perfect pair of professions to confuse her boomer-aged parents. She's always championed fostering a connection with your surroundings and now teaches others to appreciate their local ecology with their TikTok and Instagram pages. In this conversation, Alexis and I talk about how, through the art of foraging, we can reconnect with and find healing in our more-than-human kin. We also chat a bit about the joy and pleasure of taking up space, reclaiming the right to mobility, and having moments to be carefree and not always careful. Alexis is a pure joy to talk to, bringing humor, charm, and all the planting knowledge to remind us that the earth is our home and our home is medicine. Alexis, welcome to Loam. Listen, how are you this morning? Oh my gosh, I am alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic, which is like 
I have only had one sip of my coffee, so I'm surprised by myself. I, I think you have just like been the little bit of pep that I needed talking to you this morning. Extra shot of caffeine, like more than happy to do that for you. But we were talking a little bit beforehand, and I was just giving you all this praise and worship because, I mean, honestly, I feel like in a few decades, when like we're looking back at this quarantine moment, we're gonna look at you and all the content you produced, and we're all gonna be like, this was like a highlight. She was such a bright spot during such a like difficult, tough time. So again just like thank you for just like being i don't know such a comfort and like these times are just like so unprecedented i hate using that word but like truly so fitting for this moment um i remember like i think i discovered you with my boyfriend i think we're just like having one of those like doom scrolling tiktok nights just in bed going through all the content we came across you and i was like oh my god stop she's a black girl talking about mushrooms like i have to hear what she's saying did you know that there's a seaweed called dead man's fingers and did you know that you can eat it dead man's phalange meet codium for gile dead man's fingers and it's creepy for more than just its wiggly appearance it's also super invasive unless you live in asia then it's fine look at that texture people also call it sea fleece because it's like a little bit fuzzy and it's like beautifully spongy and squishy like Boba? Another name for dead man's fingers is oyster stealers because they're holdfasts, grab onto little mollusks, and move them around without their consent. That's rude. I know that it doesn't seem particularly appetizing, but in Japan it's just part of the local fare. It gets salt cured for long-term storage, and in Portugal and Spain it's finding its way onto plates at fancy Michelin-star restaurants. Ooh. Nothing is spookier than food that you can afford, especially when it's free on the beach. But I think um, just beyond the comfort, I think your content is so special because it's such a potent reminder that like our homes really can be these sources of like medicine. They can be bombs, they can be cells. And I think that was so critical, especially at the beginning of um, the pandemic, because I think we're all kind of like spiraling and having this moment of like, how can I be more self-sufficient? How can I care for myself and care for others? And you were just such a powerful reminder that like you have so much what you need just around you in your home surrounding your home in your local ecosystem in your local ecology um and then like simultaneously i think just watching your videos i was just so lifted spiritually because you were just like out and about just like owning space taking up space and again that was so powerful for me because simultaneously with this pandemic moment we're sort of going through another heightened moment racial tension so it was sort of like i feel unsafe going outside of my home for health reasons but also because of like you know white supremacy sort of creating this other pandemic of sorts in the form of police brutality and terrorism so i just appreciate you again for those two reminders that like our homes can be medicine and also that we have a right to space and a right to mobility and a right to play and to wander and to feel as though the entire planet is our home. Exactly. And I, I was very lucky that I happened to grow up with two parents, uh, both fantastic, uh, strong people of color who just so happened to have been like scouts when they were kids. My dad was a boy scout. My mom was a girl scout. And so for me growing up, 
feeling like I have some some ownership and some kinship with the outdoors has always kind of been a given. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older, got to like high school, got to college, uh, that I think my eyes were really open to how truly whitewashed the outdoors are. Um, so especially at the top of the pandemic, especially when like all of us black folks were literally feeling the weight of the entire world on our shoulders with each passing day. Uh, I was like, I, I have to be outside. I have to be outside. I'm gonna go crazy if I don't. I don't wanna be out in my city, but I do want to be outside of like these same four walls that I'm seeing every day um, for me. And let me tell you, nothing makes me cry faster than, you know, any Black folks reaching out to me and telling me that I helped them feel more comfortable in those kind of outdoor spaces, that, you know, they started hiking because of me, they started camping because of me. Uh, that's, oh my God, uh, you know, you think you're doing something just for yourself, and if you turn around and see that it's also affecting other people, it's crazy it's absolutely monumental it has given me this like sense of joy that i never thought i would get from content creation especially not content creation around something that i would have been doing otherwise no again thank you you've been again such a joy and like the impact is so real like actually um my boyfriend and i were going on like a really safe socially distant fall getaway next week and we're gonna be out in western massachusetts like out in the mountains and we bought like our first hiking boots and um the place that we're staying at they offer like these cool like curated experiences and one of them was like a foraging expedition that's like guided so i was kind of like we have to do that like alexis like the impact is real like you have entered my brain and now i'm gonna be just a black queer little boy out in Western Massachusetts foraging for the first time. So again, the impact is real, but you mentioned your background and your parents, and I just wanna start from the very beginning. So just for the benefit of the listeners, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Alexis Nicole Nelson. I am just Alexis Nicole to the fun folks on the TikTok. Uh, I, am a forager. I go out into nature, be that within just like the urban space here in Ohio in which I live, or all the way out into say like the natural, the uh, national forests or the shoreline when I'm up uh, visiting my family in Massachusetts. And I have, for whatever reason, my brain has taken it upon itself to learn as many of our plant friends, our plant relatives, as I can possibly fit into my noggin. That is, that is the kind of information my brain loves processing. And so I will go out into these spaces and I will find things for food, uh, find things for nourishment, for teas, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's also, it's just extremely fulfilling. It's definitely a hobby, not just for me, but for a lot of people. Um, but there's a sort of pride in self-reliance. It's very hard to describe uh, until you have felt it yourself. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Uh, I'm also a marketing manager, which I guess shines through in the way that I present that fortune information. <laughs> The veil has been pulled away. I do also have a full-time job, which, let me tell you, I know it ruins the illusion for some people. 
but you know, I, I am a, a black woman out here trying to make sure that I have the bag secured so I can enjoy my time in those outdoor spaces. Um, but it's good to know that I, I am a little ready should the bag ever be unsecured. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, the two things are helping each other out right now, but that's who I am. Shout out to capitalism, shout out to her. But um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but for those of us who don't really know, can you just like broadly define foraging? How is it broadly understood? And then just thinking of you and your specific experiences, um, how do you as an individual define foraging? Like what does that mean for you personally? So I would say foraging on a, a kind of broad scale would just be seen as going into some sort of nature space, be that small or large, and gathering plants and fungi to sustain yourself in some way, shape, or form. So that is the way that I think, you know, if you flipped open Merriam-Webster and looked up the word foraging, like hopefully that's approximately what you would find written down there. Really need to have that one off the top of the head for the future, just so I can rattle that off. Uh, but for me, it, on an individual level, um, I don't know, foraging is kind of uh, meditative. It is a way when you are feeling so overstimulated by the world as we all are right now, when you are feeling uh, like things are maybe getting too much. It is so humbling to re literally return back to the earth, literally have your hands in and on the earth and be like, I am just a mammal trying to make it work on this little blue planet. And that is okay. <laughs> and I also like, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a foodie, so I love cooking. One of my favorite things to do is to take these foraged ingredients and turn them into all sorts of crazy dishes and concoctions. So foraging really feeds a whole lot of aspects of my creativity. Uh, both from the shooting TikTok videos about it all the way through uh, the finished product of the food. It's, uh, it is a, an act of nourishment in and of itself that then goes on to nourish you for reals with the calories and the nutrients. <laughs> oh my God, nourishment for the body and the soul. I love that. And you sort of touched on your parents being scouts and really just, um, um, investing into you this idea that you do have a right to the earth, you do have a right to just commune with like our more than human kin. So I would love to learn more just about how does a black woman just sort of like fall into foraging, fall into um, this again, really shit with the land and water and more than human kin. Um, how was all of that sort of ignited? So my mother, uh, is this amazing, wickedly sharp, wickedly strong businesswoman. And she was like an exec at Procter & Gamble when I was growing up. And her way to like come down off of a week at work, be that a week uh, traveling in Hong Kong or a week of like staying in the boardrooms until 9 p.m. On the weekends, she would put on her rubber gloves and she'd put on her heavy duty jeans and she would garden. Like if you needed her, go to the garden. If you want to spend time with her, I hope you're in the mood for gardening. So that was 
that was her thing. That was her way of kind of having those same connections uh, with the earth to kind of bring her back to, to heart center, if you will. So as a kid, of course, you know, five-year-olds love being outside, love putting their hands in the dirt and pulling things up and out. And so if a parent is like, oh, well, this is kind of a chore, but it's a thing that you'll like here. Let's, let's teach you about this. So my mom started teaching me and quizzing me on plants from a really young age, because that's just the kind of person that she is. She quizzed me on plants and A-list celebrities, but that's not what we're talking about right now. And every once in a while, we'd be like going at like things in the garden, you know, putting pansies into the ground, you know, putting bulbs into the ground for the spring. And my mom would point at a plant, say, mm, let me think of one that she actually did. So I field garlic. Uh, people call it onion grass. It looks a little bit like grass until you get right up on it. And it smells so much like a member of the Allium family. There's no mistaking that it is something culinary. And I remember my mom pulling a handful out, like pulling it up bald and all, and handing it to me and saying, this is onion grass. Um, it's a weed, but you can pretty much use it the same way that you use chives. And uh, that was the moment, hook, line, and sinker, that I was like, you're telling me <laughs> that just outside here in our own backyard, I can walk outside, pull up a handful of something and eat it? <laughs> that was mind-blowing to me as a child. I don't know what five-year-old me thought humans were doing before agriculture. <laughs> I don't think she'd cross that bridge just yet. Uh, but that just kind of ignited a fire in me. So, you know, a couple weeks later, it was talking about how dandelion flowers and greens are edible. A couple weeks after that, maybe it was talking about how chicory flowers and roots are edible. And I just slowly started amassing this, con you know, this, uh, this information. I read every single one of my mom's gardening books in the house by the time I was like eight years old and started like going and getting more of them from the library uh, or asking for them for gift giving holidays. And I guess that's, it's just been like a quiet through line in my life for as far as I can remember. And it's not until very recently <laughs> that I'm like, oh, people are interested in this weird thing that I do that I've uh, kept very quiet, very secret for my entire life. Because my mom out here, she's very proud of me, but she's also like, you can't just grow kale like the rest of us. <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom, where's the fun in that? There's no adventure to kale. That's a lie. Growing your own vegetables is also still very much a fulfilling adventure. Uh, I do that too, uh, but you know, foraging's the thing for me. No, I love that. And shout out to your mom. She sounds absolutely incredible. And I just like love this imagery of her like pulling up all these things and sort of teaching you just like right there on the spot and sort of this very hands-on way in a way that's very embodied and very somatic and I just feel like I can see some of those resonances like in the way that you approach your own TikTok it's very hands-on it's very literally you just like with your camera being like I found this on my way to work and now I'm just going to teach you a little something about it and I just want to know for you what is it like to have that sort of like um literacy I think for a lot of us like we kind of grow up and come into the world with this very 
I don't know, very ingrained sense of disconnection. I think for me growing up, I wasn't really indoctrinated into this knowledge of there being this edible, just like cornucopia around me. It was sort of like, no, that is a weed growing in the concrete. Go get like the weed killer and spray that shit down. Um, So I don't know for you, where do you think that sense of disconnection come from, especially when it comes to Black folks, because we do have this incredibly long line of like in different ways connecting with the earth, whether it is through this agrarian history, this foraging history, this medicinal herbalism history. Um, Where do you think that comes from? And what was it like for you growing up with like this very unique sense of literacy that I don't think too many people, period, ever grow up with or ever develop in their life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if historically we want to go and kind of go all the way back to where I feel like the biggest like sever to a lot of those ties for us black folks um immediately after the civil war while the United States is going through as a period of reconstruction um I feel like a lot of people don't know this because property laws just kind of feel like something that have been the way they are since the inception of the United States but they very much have not been And let me tell you, um, once Black folks weren't picking food and means for other people, they suddenly were very not okay with Black folks also foraging for sustenance on and around the grounds on which they lived, because that was something that you had to know to fill out the, like, meager meals that you would be getting on a plantation. Like, you had to kind of form this kinship with the land around you because it was going to take better care of you uh, than a lot of the folks who said they were taking care of you. Did you know that there's a delicious fruit that is hiding in most neighborhoods landscaping and a whole lot of parks? Meet the Juneberry or Saskatoon Berry or Service Berry. Some people just call it service. It has a million names, but it is delicious. Popular because they're one of the first trees to flower in the spring. Uh, They're ready with fruit by, as their name indicates, the month of June. The berries taste like a mix of blueberries and apple, which sounds weird, but it's really good. Let's make a pie with them, but tiny. I am legally required to tell you that I'm not in a park right now, but I also want to make sure that you know that foraging laws were created to prohibit black and indigenous people from gathering free food, so um... Here we have a cup and a half of service berries put into a hot pan, add a half cup of sugar, and now we're jamming, cause it's jam. (laughs) Then add a little lemon juice and cinnamon. How did I con myself into making pastry dough again? Ta-da! So suddenly you had this nation of black folks with this knowledge of the land more so than say some of the white folks in the South at the time. And, but when they were emancipated, white folks were like, no one is going to be out here on my land taking these plants that I don't care about. <laughs> I don't care about them, but I still don't want other people on here taking them because this is my space. And so suddenly, trespassing laws got a lot more serious. Um, you know, the punishments for it became uh, much more um, monetarily heavy, much more punishment heavy. And that was absolutely a way to try and disenfranchise Black folks and Indigenous folks from having access to these lands that they knew well, that they came up knowing, that they came up hearing stories about. And I think that disconnection continued even further still as a lot of Black folks headed to cities up north where you didn't even have a lot of the rumblings of the storytelling that you say would have grown up with when you were still 
in an area where your family had been for, you know, around a hundred years at that point. Now you're in a city and cities for the last hundred years. I would say foraging has very much been seen as like a four person's activity. So if you're already struggling to make a name for yourself, already struggling to fit in into a lot of these very segregated cities, the last thing that you want to be doing is something that reads uh, poverty, something that makes you stand out um, from the rest of the crowd. So unfortunately, like it, it was a very effective way to disconnect Black folks from nature, you know, and also just the fear of violence. Uh, you know, if you're in the city and you're surrounded by the people who know you, who look like you, you have this feeling of safety that you don't know if you will be afforded if you are not in that space anymore. If you do come across someone who you don't know, who doesn't look like you when you are out in the country, out in the forest. And that's, that's terrifying. Um, so honestly, I feel like Black folks were very much like robbed of this beautiful, strong connection that we built for ourselves to this land. And that makes me sad on a daily basis. And I think that's, I, I wanna say that that's like part of the reason why I have this hunger for all of this knowledge is it just comes from like trying to fill a space historically that was once filled by people in my family uh, that now we've lost a lot of bits and pieces of. I'm one of the lucky ones in that we've only lost bits and pieces. I mean, my, my mom's side of the family has been in Massachusetts since the 1600s, and they've been farmers since the 1700s. And so thankfully, we've always had this connection to the land coming down through her side of the family, and we're, we're, we were some of the lucky ones, honestly, and that they were even able to be landowners, that they were able to pass that land down through the hands of generations. And... I just feel like it is so pivotal and so important for Black folks to, to know that they deserve this knowledge, that they can have this knowledge if they want it. That's the other thing. It's like, you don't, you don't need it. Lord knows that there's a lot of folks, uh, Black and otherwise, who are just like, hey, it's really cool that you do that. Love that for you. Not for me. And I'm like, hey, that's why we have grocery stores now. That's so cool. Uh, but I think it's so important that if you feel that hunger that we try our best to like be in a place where you can be getting little morsels of knowledge to start filling up that empty space. And if I can be that for anybody, then I have already done what I set out to do tenfold. Thank you for all of that. And there's just like so much for me there. But I think the biggest thing is just sort of the act of remembering and remembering not only in the sense of memory and just like recalling something that happened in the past but also in the spelling of like re-dash member it's like put back together and I love that you are sort of like suturing all of these histories because like you said I do think um, within this archive that we're talking about there is a gap because there have been all these violences that have sort of facilitated um, the unlearning, the denying of certain knowledge for the sake of, like you said, not being read as poor, for the sake of safety. You know, I don't want to go out and maybe forage and do all these things because that could come at the cost of my life. 
Um, so I really appreciate you. Um, you know, I think we can sort of like see and read TikTok and Instagram as being like these really like fun ways of like disseminating information. And there really is sort of like on one level on the surface, this really like light element to it. But I think for me, like it just reads so much more deeply in terms of like this does feel like a form of like ancestral worship and reclamation and feels like an incredible act of archive making. And I use that word so specifically, I think especially when we think about Black women and the knowledge they produce, we're so quick to not cite them and so quick to not look to the archives that they're producing. Um, so I just want to lift you up and thank you for doing um, that work, especially digitally in a way that's going to be, that is so accessible and so democratic. And I kind of want to segue into this piece about just like you mentioned, this history of property laws, trespassing, and just like, now I'm thinking so much about mobility. And we kind of talked about this. And I mentioned that um, when I saw your videos for the first time, it was so elating because it was like this Black person just out and about in this moment of like racial reckoning, quote unquote. And it was so affirming, so beautiful, so joyous um, with your curls popping and everything. Um, but also, like, there's just sort of this innate feeling of fear as well. At the same time, I was really afraid. I was sort of like, oh, my God, this person is, like, so boldly um, taking up space. And as I was preparing to speak with you, I was thinking so much about this essay from Garnett Cottigan, and it's called Walking My Black. And I was read the passage that, like, I was thinking about. And in it, they say... When we first learn to walk, the world around us threatens to crash into us. Every step is risky. We train ourselves to walk without crashing by being attentive to our movements and extra attentive to the world around us. As adults, we walk without thinking, really. But as a Black adult, I am often returned to that moment in childhood when I'm just learning to walk. I am once again on high alert, vigilant, some days, when I am fed up with being considered troublemaker upon sight, I joke that the last time a cop was happy to see a black male walking was when that male was a baby taking his first steps. And I think that's an experience that so many of us have, like this simple act of walking and being in space is so rife with the possibility of something going wrong. And I want to know for you, as someone for me, who really embodies this idea of being a carefree Black girl, um, how have you sustained being carefree and not always a careful Black girl, especially in this moment? Um, how do you just retain that right to mobility and just like um, disrupting again all these histories you just laid out? Yeah, absolutely. I... So I think to an extent, you can never completely part with that careful side. Um, I think for me, the best that I can do is, is quiet it, is, is reassure it, is remind it that those times that we're spending outside are also integral, are also necessary. Um, and of course, you know, you play through a million scenarios in your head of running into folks, of explaining yourself if people are wondering what you're doing, but not in the kind and inquisitive way. Um, and for a while, urban foraging was just kind of like off the table uh, here in Columbus, especially 
um, with a whole lot of turmoil going on in regards to our protests and just the mistreatment of protesters at the hands of our local police, like there was definitely a period in which I was like, oh, well, if I'm gonna be outside, like I can't, I can't be here. Hey friends, uh, I wanted to do a video and I'm going to be making a little flower crown out of these clovers and plantains uh, while just talking about what's going on in the world right now. For starters, if we're being perfectly honest, I'm scared. I'm scared. Uh, the police have been escalating things way too much in my city and I've been on the receiving end of police racism before and this is scary. Um, for our white allies who are out here protesting, donating, uh, uplifting voices of people of color right now, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much. And fellow black folks, don't feel guilty about needing to take a break, about needing to take a break from protesting, from being on social media, because this is a lot. It's a lot. Don't feel bad about taking a break to do something that makes you happy, like making a flower crown, and please take care of yourselves. Black Lives Matter. And, you know, sometimes that would almost come with a sense of guilt, like almost like a sense of like, no, I should be like establishing my presence. Here, I should be like sticking my flag in the ground and, you know, letting people know that we, that we can't be moved. But at the same time, like you can't, you as a person cannot always be a movement. Sometimes you are just you. Um, so sometimes you have, you have to take those steps back uh, for what you need. Um, I know on, on Juneteenth, which was still like a particularly joyous day here in Columbus, like we've had some Juneteenth celebrations in my neighborhood for the last few years. I, I live in a neighborhood that is historically Black here in the city and has been pretty much since its inception. And uh, I was I was gathering June berries just outside of the the park where the socially distanced festival was happening, and I just remember the sweetest old man came and asked me what I was doing, and we shared a couple June berries, and you know he was shaking his head because he's like I walk I walk past these trees like every single day, and I never would have guessed. And we were we were parting ways. He was leaving the festival. I was I was heading towards the festival. And we got a little ways away, and I just remember him pulling his mask down with just the most serious look on his face and him telling me, be careful, because sometimes people don't do well when us Black folks are doing something that they can't identify. And like, and that was such a beautiful warning for him to give me that, like, that came um, from such a, a place of, like, love and such a, a place of protection but I, like, I, I was very moved by that and also just, like, deeply saddened by that. Like, I went home and, I, and like, I wrote, like, freaking essay words, like, flew out of my fingers because it, it is crazy to me that we all have to feel that way. Um, yeah, and after talking to him, like, I, I very quickly wrapped it up with with gathering everything I was going to gather and, you know, put my little mason jar back into my bag and went and, you know, said hi to friends that I hadn't seen since February at the festival. Um, and then I just went home and had to really sit with that for a while. And I think that was one of the times when the just like, you can't always be a movement. Sometimes you just have to, sometimes it's okay to pack it in and 
uh, need some time to not be like flipping off the man in the most lovely way possible, <laughs> which is uh, one of the things that I, I like to think I do. <sighs> Sorry, that just like took me to another place, just like recounting that story. I'm like a little, <laughs> a little emotional all over again. So know that the, like the careful is always there under the carefree and it is very much a deliberate choice on a lot of those days when I'm shooting, a lot of those days when I'm kind of sharing on Instagram uh, what my world is looking like that day. Um, a lot of times it is, it is having to sit with myself and be like, no, like this is what we are going to do today and not for everyone else, uh, just for me. Thank you for that. And thank you for that vulnerability. And I just want to lift up that I think, you know, really, I want to abuse so much of a political mention to your work. I think that's so critical. But also at the end of the day, all of this is about joy and about pleasure. And it's not always this moment of I am making a stance with like my body and my actions. But I think just thinking about the words that you were given, sometimes our play and our just like wonderment and our enjoyment isn't always legible and it's still read as being something that it isn't. Um, so no, thank you so much for providing all of us that permission to, you know, just continue to do all those things. Even if it isn't read as being joyous and pleasurable and about all those things, um, we still have a right to waiting, you know, in those moments of wanting to be carefree and being carefree. So no, thank you for that. Thank you. And um, I wanted to circle back a little bit because you had this really great tidbit about historically Black folks have often engaged in practices like foraging because it was a way of receiving a very specific type of care that they weren't getting from specifically white people, that the land could provide that care. And I'm now thinking about these larger systems that we're in, right? And we're talking about foraging, so automatically I'm thinking about our food system. And this is a system that we all look to to take care of us, but often it's not a system that takes care of us. You know, if we look at at all points of that um, sort of spectrum, that um, process from production to consumption, there's all sorts of violences that happen in our food system. And I think foraging is so special because it does offer an opportunity to, again, go back to the land as being a place for care, the home being a place for care, and not investing in these larger systems to look out for us and to hold us. Um, so I really love that foraging really is an opportunity to say, I'm going to divest from these larger things and invest in the things that are small and local and slow. And I just want to um, hear from you. What is your vision for a world where we all invest in the small and the local and the slow instead of relying on these broader systems to provide the care that we all need to sustain ourselves? Well, I will say I, I just, I love community gardening. I love the sense of having a communal space where not only do you get to create these connections with the people who live around you, but you know, the outcome of those connections 
is being able to sustain yourselves as a group, as a collective. And here in, in my neighborhood, uh, in the King Lincoln District here in Columbus, Ohio, we do not have a grocery store. Um, very much living in a food desert, 100% uh, of the way, you have to go, you know, at least 20 minutes on a bus uh, in either direction before you get to like a bona fide grocery store. Um, but I will tell you that the, the AME church right on the corner of our street owns this beautiful community garden about a block away. And they did kind of, uh, it kind of sat for a little bit in just this past year. I think honestly the quarantine has kind of been a call to action for a lot of folks to start investing um, more time and energy into what is happening in their own community. Um, but a lot of folks have been over there with their kids working in like the raised beds and the plots, gathering like apples and pears from the trees in the area. And like, those are the kind of things that I want to see our communities being able to turn to more. Of course, at this point, like society is, is huge. Like we are all going to need in some way, shape or form to still like lean on the industrial agriculture that like let our society get to the point that it is at now. Foraging is amazing and gardening is amazing. Um, but to quote my mom, what do you do in the winter time? <laughs> uh, but I do think, you know, taking some of that time and investing it in, in the community is great, both for just like reinforcing these connections that we all have to the people who live near us, uh, which I think is super important. We are definitely like entering an age in which for whatever reason, just like knowing your neighbors is a little less common than it was say like 20 years ago when I was a kid and we knew like every single person on our block. I think just because of this constantly shifting nature in a lot of cities, towns and suburbs, like that's just becoming less of the norm. And, uh, and yeah, there's just like a beautiful bond that one forges over like working with the earth. Um, some of my, my strongest friendships that I formed as a kid were like kids who I built tree forts with or kids that I made like pokeweed berry dye with and like, you know, painted things with our fingers. Like there's some, something that happens when you are connecting over just like the world around you at a very bare bones level that I think is extremely important. Um, so I would love to see that coming into play more. And of course, also, if you're just, you know, looking at it from the top down, from a taking care of the planet standpoint, any pressure that you can take off of like another truck of food having to come to like your local Kroger, like it's, it's just good for the environment to be getting some of your sustenance, some of your nourishment from a couple paces away, um, as opposed to a couple states, a couple countries away like that just in terms of like sustaining all of us as a human race on like this planet that we are trying to keep alive uh, is also uh, fantastic as well. And we know that the United States for in particular could become focused on that again, because we had the whole like rise of victory gardens in the 1940s. We know that when we put our minds to it, we can be like, ah, yes, we can make this happen uh, for sure, for sure. But you know, now things are also so much more complicated. 
um, what with like money and the farm industry, it's a lot harder, I feel, for especially like, say, a politician to be like, I think that people in my district should be focusing in more on like taking care of themselves in green spaces that they live near because some dairy lobbyist somewhere no like no hate no shade to small dairy farms but some <laughs> some dairy lobbyist somewhere is going to be like i'm never going to give you money <laughs> because you said that it's just a lot of it is so much more fraught now so i'm really glad that it looks like some communities are taking it upon themselves to kind of turn inwards for their sustenance and in neighborhoods like mine i hope i continue to see that initiative growing um, because we need it. We need it. Food desert. It's not fun. No, thank you for that. And I, I thank you for bringing out sort of that complexity of, you know, even if we do invest in like these um, little micro activities like foraging that do have the opportunity to add those disruptions um, that won't completely collapse like the systems that we're all so deeply attached to and embedded in. Um, but I do think there's so much um, revolution that can be found in those tiny um, micro evolutions. Um, but yeah, there, we're caught in this web, right? And I do have faith that like over time, those tiny micro evolutions will sort of create a larger shift. So, but yeah, thank you for like, elevating again that complexity because whew, it is real um but i do want to dig a little bit deeper into your background i know that you have a background in the sciences you have a background i believe also in the arts a little bit um and like i know you have like some teaching experience too and i thought all those things were just so interesting and um, they show up so beautifully in the work that you do. And when I was preparing for this conversation, I was thinking so much about the sciences, capital T, capital S, and how so much of um, what's produced within that is often really exclusive. It feels less like a knowledge commons and more like a gated community. Like people often aren't able to access what's produced by the sciences and by academia and by the ivory tower. Um, but so much of your work is about um, democratically um, sharing information, making it accessible. Um, why is that critical for you? Why is that important to you? And also, why is it important for you to have us renegotiate our understanding of who has expertise and where expertise can be found? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this, uh, I, <laughs> I think some of my anger at like the, the withholding of information, especially in higher ed academia, um, came. So I, I started at OSU as an environmental engineering major. That is what I, I came into OSU as. And I remember sitting in a lecture hall with the, you know, a couple thousand of the other freshman engineering students. One, looking around and seeing that there weren't a whole lot of women around me. Two, looking around and seeing there weren't a lot of black people around me. And like, I, I hate this because it was so cliche. It was so textbook. And I so wanted to believe that it wasn't the conversation we were going to have, but sure enough, the first person gets up on stage and gives you that like 
I want you to take a look to your left and to your right and know that on graduation day, one of those people will not still be sitting next to you. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is a very negative way to start our foray into what is already going to be a difficult set of subjects for the, for the next few years. Like, don't, don't say that, don't do that. Um, and I, so literally on day one, I was just like, oh, so academia is out here trying to stay exclusive. Okay, 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 okay. Because previous to being in college, my elementary school education was at like a very small but very diverse Montessori school, which while being a private school had an extremely robust scholarship system. They very much were just like, if you're child expresses interest in like Montessori teachings, we will make it work for them being here. Um, and that school was also very science-minded, very outdoors-minded, very environment-minded. Um, and I'm so lucky for that. And I thought that was the norm. I thought just giving out all of this knowledge to everyone who saw it and was interested in it, you know, there it was. And then for my high school, I went to a public but magnet school in which if you took the test and you scored above like whatever the benchmark was that year, they didn't care what socioeconomic status that you were coming from. They didn't care about your race, your family background, like whatever. They were just like, you want this and you, and you like qualified to be here. So here you are. And I was very lucky. Like it was one of the, the top schools in the country, top school in our state. And just every opportunity, if you took a, just like a tad of initiative was there for you. You know, you, you wanna take AP Chem, but you're having a little bit of trouble in your current chemistry class. Like you could talk to your chemistry teacher and they would like sit down and be like, okay, you're gonna figure this out. And they would do that for you regardless of who you were. So to get into, this college program that I was so excited about after all of these like wonderful helping hands from teachers, educators along the way to come in and have them immediately be like that aggressively, like better pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kids. Like this isn't going to be easy and we're not going to make it easy for you. I was just like, oh no, this is not the way I thought education was. And this surely isn't the way that I want education to be. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I, I traded in the word engineering for the word science, much to my parents' chagrin. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I can always go back to school if I want to. <laughs> That's what I keep reminding them. I can always go back if I change my mind. Um, but I also picked up a degree in theater, um, which when I was a theater student, I used to joke that we were just like loud English majors, uh, which actually I, I still tell that joke really frequently. <laughs> but there, especially if you're in, you know, writing, if you're in script writing, especially if you're a person who's ever presenting themselves on stage, there is a degree of storytelling and a degree of like demanding your space that you learn going through a theater program that I think is like integral to the way that I have moved through the world since then. Uh, so 
you know, but fast forward, I have my, my two degrees in my hand um, and I'm like a new college grad and I'm working a job at a startup that will remain nameless because I did not have a good time there. And on the side, I was just like, okay, I'm like making enough money, but I'm also not feeling fulfilled. One of my friends is like, hey, I'm teaching English as a second language online. It's nothing crazy. Like you have to take a couple classes, get a teaching certification. It sounds like something that you would enjoy. So I was like, yeah, I can make a couple extra hundred, you know, I can make a couple extra bucks each week. That sounds cool. So I go and I take the classes, I pass all of my certifications and I suddenly find that like just getting to engage with people who want knowledge it's like almost it's like intoxicating like when people are are there and they are engaged and they feel like you are also doing an effective job of communicating that information to them for me that was like the highlight of my week every week like for my my not this fun other job I worked Monday to Thursday so Friday Saturdays I would teach English and I would just leave being elated being like hey my Russian students came up with scary stories today and I had the greatest time ever. I was just like, today Inga looked me in my face when I asked her to tell me a, a scary story and said, this morning I looked out my window and I saw a bear having a fight with a fox. My life is scary story. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I love the human race. I love teaching people. <laughs> um, Shout out to Inga. I hope she's doing well right now. She deserves everything in this world and more. <laughs> and I don't know. So then when TikTok came around, honestly, I downloaded it for myself because my job wanted us to have a TikTok account. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to mess up, I want to mess up under my own name and not under the name on my checks. Ha, cha, cha. And so I started it. And for a while, I was just like trying to play to all the trends. And when I sat down and came back to the things that made me happy, which is teaching, which is foraging, which is nature, which is comedy, which is storytelling. Like, it's crazy that I didn't stumble upon it sooner. It was like a switch flipped, both in my enthusiasm about making the content and in the way that the content was being received. Um, and so I think that there's still a little bit of me that's like really mad at that lecture from my first day at engineering school. And there's a part of me that's just like, no, information is information. And it shouldn't be held behind these weird gates from people who feel like people who want it for whatever reason don't deserve it, because that's dumb. <laughs> like information is truly democratic. It simply exists. Like no one should have any more ownership over it than anybody else and so of course that's why I'm out here and I'm just like hey I'm gonna throw a little bit of information at you but I know that you can do it I know that you can watch the video again if you want to um and I'm just trying to yeah give knowledge to anybody anybody who wants it no thank you for that and it's such a nice tie into what we talked about earlier sort of like all these historical biases that sort of like disrupted knowledge from being passed on or even generated and then like just accrued on top of each other. So, and also thinking about how knowledge can be concentrated in these really exclusive spaces, like 
I love that like you're actively trying to break all that down and I love that in some of your videos you really do encourage like your audience to really be like go learn and explore and like really unearth like your own expertise especially when it comes to like foraging and cutting to the land because I think that's something that we all innately have it's like if we're all humans and animals living on earth's like broader ecosystem biosphere it's kind of like we are of the earth like we have an innate connection like it makes sense like duh like we should be learning foraging we should be like excavating all these inherent skills that we already have and I just want to end on one last note, you know, when I'm thinking about all the things that we talked about, you know, obviously when you're foraging, you're foraging for this more than human can fungi and plants and all of that. Um, but I think there's also like something like more spiritual also that you're also foraging for, whether it's like, you know, a reclamation of knowledge, whether it's a reclamation of like reconnection to land. And I want to know for you, just in a more spiritual sense, like, what else do you feel like you're foraging for beyond just like these physical things when you're just out and about? Um, and also, what are your favorite like physical things to forage for just in your local ecosystem? I would love to know that too. So I would say kind of speaking to what you you had already said spiritually there's just like a connection to the earth that i i in particular have always craved from like a really young age um i was really lucky to spend a whole lot of time outside and when i was old enough my i like begged my parents to ship me to like overnight camp in the middle of the woods like up the river from where we lived like that is just like where i wanted to be and that is what that's like that's what fills my cup like that is what helps me feel more at peace that's what makes me happy is you know time that I get to spend outdoors in these green spaces kind of uh, taking a second to slow down and realize uh, that they are just a, as much a part of me as I am a part of them um, and kind of rekindle what very much feels like a symbiotic relationship to me and that's why when I'm foraging I'm also like picking up trash that like kids leave in the woods or I'm like spreading milkweed seeds as I'm like walking through open grassy spaces just like for me it is truly a symbiotic relationship and when you like when you and the planet are both like upholding I don't even want to call it ends of like a deal it's just like when you both are doing these kind of like loving acts for each other like that's that's what I that's what I love that's what sends me home feeling like I am fulfilling some sort of purpose and uh, in terms of my favorite things to forage oh golly it depends on the time of year I love pawpaws pawpaws are like my little midwestern heart's favorite thing because it's something that like we have and not everybody else has it's the only um kind of tropical-esque fruit that is native to the united states uh it is a relic of when like megafauna like giant sloths and mastodons are all hanging out uh because there's they're just these huge like custard apple style fruits and it's crazy when you point them out to another person who has like lived in Ohio their entire life because a person will look you dead in the eyes and be like, there are none of those around here. I have never seen them before and I don't know what you're talking about. 
and one of my one of my best friends who hasn't previously been outdoorsy and is now kind of rediscovering for herself what like a connection to the outdoors feels like we went to like one of the most major parks in the city and I was like that is a pawpaw tree and it is full of pawpaws and it is right there <laughs> and watching kind of like the the joy of her meeting this tree like this species for the first time and getting to like gather fruits and like have a very tactile experience with the tree was amazing. Pawpaws are fantastic. If you live in the Midwest or the Great Plains or the Southern portion of New England, go to a stream in like September, you'll find them, they're there. Banana pancakes? Nah, let's make pawpaw pancakes. Oh, sorry, this one smells so mangoey, I love it. The pawpaw goes by many names, Appalachian Banana, Hillbilly Mango, Quaker's Delight, Umbi to the Chalk Top, but it's all referring to Asamina triloba, the largest native fruit to the United States. Pawpaw fruits have these large seeds surrounded by a custardy pulp that tastes like bananas had a baby with a mango. So let's make some pancakes. Now I'm gonna add some pawpaw pulp, some vegan buttermilk, but you can use regular buttermilk if you have it, some baking powder, some flour and some sugar into this here bowl. And now the batter is ready to go into a slightly vegan butter to pan. Ba -da 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 -da. Pawpaws are better than bananas. Ta da! Pawpaw pancakes! And what else do I love gathering? I love gathering garlic mustard because it is like painfully invasive. Uh, it is in a constant struggle of trying to like choke out our native species, but for us, we can do the earth a solid by harvesting it because the entire plant is edible from like tip to root. The roots are an amazing horseradish dupe. The leaves when they're young are like tender and a little spicy and very garlicky. Uh, it makes an amazing pesto. And so from like an environmental protection standpoint, that's probably one of my favorite plants to harvest because it's delicious and useful and you are also helping your local ecology. And it doesn't get much better than that. Well, I don't know about everyone else, but I'm gonna go Google pawpaws right now. They sound iconic and legendary and amazing. Um, but Alexis, this was honestly such a joy and I learned so much and like my mind is just like filled with so many more questions and hopefully, I don't know, maybe there'll be a part two or something, but this was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much again for just like your generosity of time and brilliance and wisdom and there's so much more to learn. So where can people find you to learn more from you and all the amazing work that you do? Oh, shucks. Well, I am at Alexis Nicole, and that is Nicole with a K. Thank you, Mom. On TikTok. She's Kim with a Y, so it's just a thing. <laughs> it's just a thing. And on uh, Instagram, I am at Black Forager. Nice and easy to remember. <laughs> Amazing. And thank you so much again. This was absolutely fantastic. And uh, again, just thank you. That's literally all I can say is thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your like, wonderfully engaged questions. And this was an amazing way to start a Saturday. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Loam Listen. Again, I'm your host, Amiria Freeman. 
This episode was edited by Isaac Selk, with music provided by Isaac Selk, and TikTok audio graciously provided by Alexis Nicole Nelson. Until next time.